I've got to start with a quote from John Mark Hicks. Um, you may have never heard of him. I hadn't until this week. But he wrote this. God never intended for an altar, though he planned for it. Instead, God intended a table to enjoy the communion of his people. Wow. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? I love that. <clears throat> and you know, last week Trent started a series called, the, um, called Practice Resurrection. And guess what? If you're a person, you get to practice resurrection. And today we're going to carry on with that theme. And um, one of the things that Trent talked about was our free will. That God in Christ wants to fully restore us. Amen? Um, but we have a part and that is our response to his desire towards us. And here's a great thought towards you and me, that we would look like his son. But our response is, yeah, amen, include me. I'll take that. We don't have to earn it. We just really have to say yes. And the engagement of our free will <clears throat> leads us to being a transformed people. You know, we're born into a fallen world. You know, it's a chaotic world. But in Christ, we're reborn into a kingdom, the kingdom of God, where we have a Lord, King Jesus. Uh, and it changes everything because um, in that place, when we're in the kingdom of God, everything changes. The way we see God changes because now he's, he's defined by Jesus, Right? How we see ourselves change. Why? Because how we see ourselves, well, we see ourselves in who Jesus is. Amen? And how we see others changes because we're meant to see them as who they are in Christ. I think it's Colossians somewhere. The Bible, <coughs> some guy wrote that we no longer know anyone according to the flesh, but we uh, know them something or other in Christ. Yeah. Like, it says anybody. So like even our perspective of how we see humanity should be different. And who knows that's not always easy. And as we engage our free will to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, we develop this Christ-centric lens. So we see more like that. We see God clear. We, we see ourselves more Christ-like. We see others through the lens of who they are in Christ. And the byproduct of that, the fruit of that, is that we conduct ourselves and, uh, in a way that we become an example to the world. We become a community that's not shaped by the culture of the world, but is shaped by the kingdom of God. And um, that's what it's all about, eh, of being in the kingdom, is being transformed to being that community that people uh, admire, you know. And, and as I spoke about in a couple of weeks ago, you know, there's two reactions. People either are drawn to it and they, they become knitted into it. Or you get the other extreme, which is they start to persecute it. <clears throat> but, you know, it's all about that transformation. So let's dig into Romans 6. Romans chapter 6 from verse 1. How can we who died to sin live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Wow. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. 
For if, if we had been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Wow. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims. Come on. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For in the light of the fact he died, he died to sin once for all. But in the light of the fact that he lives, he lives to God. So good, eh? So you, so you too, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's stop right there for a moment. This is amazing. You know, I was reflecting on this this week, and I've read this so many times. <clears throat> but for me this week, it was like a real... Selah moment, a moment of like something to pause and reflect on. The, the rea- reality of this was just really highlighted to me again this week. There's, there's a bunch of statements here that Paul makes. And, and these statements or, or questions really, that, that are invitations, that, that are questions, but they're, they're questions that we should ask ourselves because they invite us to ask, what does it look like for me? What does it look like... Um, Don't say, what does it look like for someone else? <laughs> what does it look like for me, you know? And I want to take that further. What, what does it look like or what does it mean for us as a fellowship, as followers of Christ corporately? You know, there's crazy things in there. Like, how can we who died to Christ still live in it? How can we who died to sin? Slowly creating a new theology. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Like, we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death. We will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. We've been buried with him by baptism into death. You know, Trent, I was going to call him Paul. Trent last week was talking about, you know, baptism. If we've been buried with him by baptism into death, in order that we may be raised from the dead as Christ was to the glory of the Father, we will be in the likeness of his resurrection. Isn't that just something to like chew on? Like, what does that mean? What does that even look like? What does that mean for your life? You know, and Trent put it last week that we are the community of the baptized and are the preview of the future as we, as we kind of step into this and become this, as we engage our free will and become this um, awesome community that's a kingdom that looks like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on the earth. And I love how Trent put it. I don't know if he quoted someone else here, but he said that we're to live out our baptismal identity. 
or our Christ-likeness. <clears throat> you know, Apostle Paul really championed this new way of thinking. No matter the, the culture or the religious system or events of our past, Jesus was, is a whole new way of thinking. And he established a whole new identity and a whole new way of doing things. And, you know, Paul mentions here the, the, the power and the significance of baptism. It's an important part of framing our understanding of all this. You know, um, and baptism matters. I remember in the, the movement that I used to be part of, um, they called baptism your first step of obedience. Which I understand what they're trying to say, but looking back now, I feel like it, what it did is it reduced down the reality of what we're participating in, of what we're identifying with, or the one we're identifying with. Because you see, obedience doesn't reform us. Obedience doesn't transform you. Otherwise, religious laws could save you. Instead, it is the identifying of Christ with us and us with him the identifying of Christ with us and us with him that allows us to be restored, that allows us to be made whole, that allows us to live this new life in Christ. Amen? And so water baptism is one of those two sacraments that were given to us by Jesus. And the other one is communion. Both water baptism and communion are things that we get to participate in, that we get to be involved in. Both are Christ-centric. You could even put it this way, that both of these practices uh, make use of created things. Have you thought about that? They both use created things, the water, you know, um, the bread, the wine. And I think that allows, that it helps to explain to us, it allows us or, or expresses, they're not symbolisms, Mere symbols, they, they, they express a spiritual reality. They allow us as created beings in a created world to tangibly, I believe this, to tangibly engage with the spiritual truth. The two sacraments, baptism, communion, they express like this heaven and earth interaction. A heaven and earth interaction. The two realms coming together as one. See, water baptism is more than just getting wet. Communes more than grape juice in a cup <laughs> and some broken bread with gluten or without. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He writes this in First uh, Corinthians eleven twenty. He says, "When you come together, is it not really to eat the Lord's supper?" Who knows this verse? Okay, one person's reading their Bible. <laughs> See, most of us who didn't put our hands up will know this verse quite well. But what I love about this verse is actually the context. Where Paul writes this, there's actually what the the context around where he writes this is really powerful, because Paul's actually telling them off. 
He's telling them off. The church in Corinth was uh, having issues in the way they were gathering together. They were missing the spirit of, uh, of purpose, the, the, the purpose of coming together as the people of God. And this is what he writes. 1 Corinthians 11, 17, he says, Now in giving the following instructions, I do not praise you. Good start. <clears throat> Since you came together not for the better but for the worse, for to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. There must indeed be factions amongst you, so those that are proved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together, it is, not really, is, it, is it not really to eat the Lord's Supper? For at the meal, each one eats his own supper ahead of others. So one person is hungry while another one gets drunk. I just want to point out here, I find it really interesting that Paul doesn't address this thing of drunkenness. He actually just says, don't you have houses to go to and do that? <laughs> he obviously picks his fights. <clears throat> or do you... Or do you look down on the church of God and embrace those who have nothing? Embarrass those who have nothing? <laughs> yeah, embarrass those who have nothing. What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you for this. So you know it's a really bad day that one of your when one of your spiritual fathers writes a letter to you and mentions an issue that he heard on the grapevine and said, actually, I kind of believe it. Naturally, in any community, is going to develop cliques, right? Small groups of people that gather around. And <clears throat> people gather around common interest. You know, I'm pretty sure, like in our home group, um, Malcolm and I have probably gone off on our own little tangent in the tech world more than once. And... <laughs> That's Malcolm's wife. <laughs> And completely lost the interest of the rest of our group, you know. It's not our fault they've got no high value for things that matter, but, you know. <laughs> so within this community, you know, we've got photographers, we've got musos, we've got tradies, we've got bookworms, we've got artists, we've got hunters, and we've got movie buffs, buffs, Netflix binges, you know, a bunch of others, you know. And as I was mentioning a couple of weeks ago, church is supposed to be this big mounting pot of crazy that would not normally do life together. But by Christ, we're knitted together as one body and one spirit. Amen. And um, I know we can say the ideal because that is the ideal, eh? But it's kind of like sometimes that's hard. See, the church in Corinth were having issues. Because these cliques were creating division. And in the case of this church, the main division, the main point of separation was wealthy and poor. And it's a line of division that ran right through the ancient world, and who knows, it runs through today's world too. See, the culture of the world may gather around differences. And people do, they gather together around differences in the sense of they're different from us. But as followers of Jesus, we gather around who we have in common. Who we have in common. Because you see, regardless of bank accounts, regardless of social status, regardless of your job status, regardless of your gender, your race, history, your intelligence, 
your favorite color, how old you are, you know, um, whether you don't drink your coffee black, you know, we can pray for that, the direction you hang your toilet paper, none of those things, none of those things stops us being a community in Christ, right? But all those things are allowed to happen. And then Paul continues. He says, For I received from the Lord what I pass on to you. On the night which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus Christ took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then Paul challenges them to examine themselves as they come around the Lord's table. And only then to eat and to drink. And it was to examine themselves in their place of heart or division within the body. You know, communion is not, nor can it ever be deluded to being a mere religious tradition. Or just going through the motions of what we do on Sunday, you know. Communion helps us to remember what we've been made partakers of in Christ. It's an action. It's a spiritual participation. And I love this of a reality that when Jesus returns, we are going to fully experience. Because we only in part now, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm only partly transformed. You know, but there's a time coming in the return of Christ when we will be fully transformed. And we live in this, this tension of present future. Amen? You know, um, I've been speaking communion messages. I was working it out yesterday, probably for about 20 odd years. And I started very, very young. <laughs> just before I was born. And I've shared from it, I've shared about communion from so many different angles. And I always um, probably <laughs> use the phrase, no, I won't go there. Um, you know, and often, probably in more recent times, I've always come to the approach of talking about covenants and covenantal meals. You know, I've done that lots of times. But I feel like community... Actually, let's use a different word. Just use fellowship is really what it boils down to, that we come together as one without a heart of division to fully identify with the one who fully identified with us so that we could find new life, that we could be resurrected, we could be transformed, and we could be this amazing community of the kingdom that others are drawn into.
because God never intended for an altar. Although he planned for it, instead God intended a table to enjoy the communion of his people. I think that's a glorious thing. I don't know about you. What we've been graced with through Christ. And you know, today we get to celebrate all that he has done when we gather together. We're the living testimony of what Jesus has done. Can the worship team come, please? And in just a moment, we're going to um, take communion. And if you're visiting us today, you know, I want to encourage you to partake with us as, as one body. And um, the other thing we need is a couple of volunteers. Are you guys going to do it? We've got the volunteers. Look at that. Legends. And there is gluten-free there if you need it. But here's the thing. Don't take the bread and the cup just yet because let's do it together, amen? But just as the, um, the bread and the cup are being handed out, let's take a moment to examine our own hearts. So that when we, we gather together to partake together, we do it from a place of unity and one body in Christ. do in just a moment when they're finished distributing and we've just got a moment to just really examine our own hearts so we're going to move back into some worship practice that declares what Christ has done that he is risen because it says do this in remembrance of me until I return right so it's a great declaration that he is alive and that he is returning and it's a community practice that that allows us to remind ourselves what we've made what we've been part of it allows us to reset our heart and our focus on being one with each other in Christ so let's just stand eh, as we stand with our brothers and our sisters this morning, that we are one in Christ. And so, Jesus, we thank you that we find our life in you, that, that as we have identified with your death, we identify with your resurrection and we, we step into an abundance of life. 
this morning we choose to say yes to transformation, to, to become Christ-like, to be transformed, to, to become like the resurrected Jesus. And so of one accord, and one spirit, of one body knitted in you, we eat and drink and partake of you this morning. Let's eat and drink together.